Good morning, church. Good morning. And it's great to be in the house of the Lord today, let me tell you. So thank you for that. If uh, you are really tired of hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, let me tell you, you picked the wrong Sunday, and you also picked the wrong church to be here today. Today's message is in Christ's alone. Maybe you can hear me a little bit better now. Today's message is in Christ alone. Good morning. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Robert Letta. I have the honor and privilege of being the youth pastor here at Red Cross Baptist Church. Uh, I don't preach often, uh, but I've recently started studying and working through an MDiv program where I'm actually learning how to preach. So far, one of my greatest takeaways from that time studying is that when it comes to preaching the gospel, I still have a lot to learn. So I appreciate your patience with me this morning. That's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for our wonderful pastor, Jesse Herring. Uh, In my humble opinion, he is doing an amazing job leading our congregation. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Uh, He sees the importance in training up others to proclaim God's word. And it truly is an honor and a privilege to serve and to learn and to grow from his discipleship. One of the books he gave me was this one here, Christ Alone. Uh, by Stephen Wellen, if I'm saying his last name correctly. Um, I, I leaned on it heavily to prepare this message, especially when it comes to the chapter on prophet, pre- prophet priest, and king. Just wanted to let that know. But no matter how today transpires, if you're visiting with us, please come back to hear a word from our wonderful pastor. I can assure you, you do not want to miss out on that. We are about halfway through our five solo sermon series. And it is no coincidence that at the heart of the five solas, where we arrive today, we find Christ at the center and Christ alone. Christ is not just the center of the five solas, though. We find him at the center of the scriptures. He's at the center of the church for the same reason we find the sun at the center of our solar system. His life-giving light makes life possible. It empowers all that we do. And apart from him, We would only drift off into death and darkness. I must admit, when I first tried to wrap my finite mind around preaching on the infinite implications of in Christ alone, I felt even more overwhelmed than usual. The sheer magnitude of such a statement would deserve an eternity of study. The last book, the last chapter, I'm sorry, in the book of John gives us a glimpse of this. When it states that there are so many things that Christ has done, were every single one of them to be recorded, the world itself could not contain the books. I felt as though I was supposed to survey the ocean with only a rowboat and a pen. My feeble mind, along with the time constraints, simply just doesn't cut it. But in all reality, no one is worthy to open up this scroll and proclaim the glorious realities of our God Almighty. None but one. And it is only by His atoning work and empowerment that I may stand before you today and proclaim this message. Praise God for His amazing grace that is sufficient. His strength that's made perfect in our weakness. My goal today is simple, but it's very profound. I wish to make much of our Messiah. I want to magnify His name and exalt His magnificence to you all but not as I would with a magnifying glass or a microscope, as if he is small and needs to be enlarged, but rather with a telescope, which helps our feeble minds 
behold another much more greater and glorious object. I'm very thankful that comfort came to me this week as I was preparing this message. I was reminded of a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it from Charles Spurgeon. And it put wind in my sails as I set out to craft this message. I remind myself of it even now. We can think of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as a mighty caged lion. We need not fret on our ability to express its greatness, nor on our ability to defend it. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. So let's swing the cage wide open this morning and unsheath the mighty sword of God, unleashing the lion from the tribe of Judah and beholding his glory. I want to invite you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation, where we will drink a few gulps of this living water in the first chapter. It's more vast than the oceans. Please stand with me, if you will, in the honor of the reading of God's word. I'll be reading Revelation chapter 1. Verse 1 through 8. Lord of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You may be seated. Thank you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, which you have given to your church, your people. Use me, Lord, in this process. Help me to speak with conviction and clarity, Father. Help the hearts to receive this truth, Lord. To not just be hearers of it, but doers of it, Lord. To, to respond to it, Father. We know that your word does not return void. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes this possible. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Over the course of this message, I pray you would see three truths. They're going to kind of go throughout it here. The first thing is, I pray that you would see this, the centrality of Christ. The centrality of Christ. When it comes to the Word of God, we find Christ at the very heart of the Gospel. He is of the greatest importance. Number two, I pray that you would see the composition of Christ. 
who he is, specifically looking at the offices that he holds as our perfect and final prophet, priest, and king. And lastly, I pray that you would see the completeness of Christ, what his finished work has permanently accomplished on our behalf. Within the first three verses of Revelation, we can quickly get a context. You know, when it comes to understanding a text, context is key. In fact, a text without a context can quickly turn into a pretext. These first three verses in Revelation offer to us an important introductional outline to what we can expect moving forward. You know, the name Revelation literally means unveiling. In verse 1, identifies just who or what is being revealed to us. The Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just the book of Revelation that speaks in His glory. For all of Scripture points to Him. In the book of Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was teaching His followers, He began with Moses and the prophets, and He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. In case you're new to the Bible this morning, we're in the last book of it, the book of Revelation. I want to give you a quick recap on the last 65 books. In the beginning, God, through Christ, created man, and he soon rebelled. Thus, we see our need for a Savior within the first few chapters. As we continue, we see the promise of Jesus, the anticipation of Jesus, the incarnation and arrival of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and the promised return of Jesus. This book is all about Jesus. It is Christ-centered. The entire Bible bears witness to His glory. Every book whispers His name, and every story casts His shadow. Verse 2 makes it clear. John, along with other biblical authors, bore witness to the Word of God, in which we find the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the same John who, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, penned these words. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, in His name, you may have everlasting life. These words bear witness to Christ, in whom alone we may have everlasting life. Peter also knew this well. When others were leaving Christ for his bold claims of being deity, of being God, Jesus asked the twelve, do you want to leave also? Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus would rebuke the ones who rejected this truth by saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yet it is they that bear witness about me. Verse 3 tells us that these words are blessed by God and they come with a blessing. Not only do these words bear witness to Christ, they are blessed by God and they also carry with it a blessing We are told, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it, and blessed are those that keep it. What is written 
for the time is near. Oh, how our nation, our communities, our households would do well to receive this word today. If we wish to receive a blessing from God, we must read his word, hear his word, and keep his word. While most of us, most of us may find the first two requirements easier than the last, we will all undoubtedly stumble at some point along that way. Spend some time in God's word, and you will soon see we cannot keep the word of God without the word of God first keeping us. Remember, this word was spoken nearly 2,000 years ago. The time was near then of how much closer is it today? We have just gained a context in seeing how Christ is the center to the gospel. Now let's turn our attention to the composition of Christ, who he is and what he does and why he is of the greatest importance. While we look at verses four and five. In the previous verse leading up to verse four, verse three, the last phrase that was said was keep what is written for the time is near. This can be interpreted as keeping it close to your heart or as being obedient to its content. But in either or both of those circumstances, I find reassurance in verse four. Grace and peace are offered to the churches from the eternal one. It would benefit us greatly to understand that the word of God is sent forth as a blessing. It offers grace and peace to all who receive it and who believe that it bears witness to the truth. As evidenced by this past week, we live in a dark world full of much deception that tries to teach a relative reality of truth, which basically means what's true for one might not necessarily be true for another. We may find ourselves like Pontius Pilate before the Messiah asking him, what is truth? Christ does not leave us in the dark, grasping for the light. He answers this question in John 17, 17. When Jesus was praying to the Father, he asked him, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. If you're following along with me this morning, we've just learned that the word of God is blessed. The word of God brings a blessing and the word of God bears witness to the truth. You may also remember in John, elsewhere, Christ has said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He said that those who believe in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciple. Then you will know the truth and this truth will set you free. The word of God bears witness to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is the truth that sets us free. John chapter one tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Further on, it states that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the truth. He is the word of God that sets us free. From him flow blessings, peace, grace, and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. 
But grace and peace came through Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ alone that we can receive not only this blessing, but all the blessings and the promises of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that for all the promises of God, find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through his name that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 shows us how this is possible. In Jesus Christ, we see the perfect fulfillment of three offices. Look at verse 5 with me, if you will. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. He is the perfect prophet. The firstborn of the dead, he is our perpetual priest. And the ruler of the kings on earth, he is king of kings. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. These three offices of prophet, priest, and king, they're necessary in order to free us from our bondage to sin and open up the flow of heavenly blessings. As we will soon see, Christ fulfills each office completely, perfectly, and eternally. Our salvation requires this because sin held us under bondage in three main ways as seen in the Garden of Eden. Number one, sin ruined our knowledge of God. Through the fall, the relationship changed. We no longer knew God. As evident by Adam and Eve hiding themselves in the garden, they hid from him because they didn't trust him. They didn't believe that he truly is good. Sin stained us with shame and it removed us from his presence as evident by the fig leaves they tried to cover themselves with after they were cast out of the garden. Number three, the fall created a rebellious heart that disobeys God's commands. We now have inherited wicked deeds and desires as evidenced by Adam and Eve's rejection of God's commands. And this has been passed down through the flesh as evident by their own children murdering one another. Church, we need true knowledge. We need true cleansing and righteousness. We need true restoration and reconciliation. We need a true Savior. And we find all of this in Christ alone. God takes care of all of that. He fixes everything that sin has broken. He reconciled us and redeemed us back into himself through Christ in three distinct ways. The first, Christ being our final and greatest prophet. Throughout the Old Testament, a major theme is prophets. In scripture, a prophet is a man of God who speaks God's word to others. You can think of them simply as the flow of communication from God to man. This is important because we need to know the truth of how to live in covenant relationship with God. We need a prophet because of the corruption associated with Adam's sin. It renders all of humanity spiritually blind. 
Since the serpent has deceived us in the garden, all we have done is distorted God's truth and rejected God's word. Matthew 4, 4 tells us that we cannot live apart from this truth. And Christ not only brings this life-giving word, he is this life-giving word. Christ as the final and greatest prophet is a biblical reality. Search for yourself and see throughout the scriptures before a prophet would speak and share a message on behalf of God, what would they say? Thus saith the Lord. But look closely. Wherever we see Jesus speaking in the scriptures, what would he often say before he spoke? Truly, truly, I say unto you. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3 verifies this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our Father, our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He has created the world. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The book of Revelation calls Jesus Christ the faithful witness for a reason. Through Christ alone, his prophetic word is sufficient to bring us the instruction we need for salvation. But our salvation requires more than just instruction. It requires mediation. It requires obedience. In fact, at the heart of Christ's word to us is a call to repent and place our faith and trust in Him as our covenant mediator. Our, our human problem is more than just we don't know what to do, church. If we're honest, we also don't know how to do it. We need a Savior who can live out this obedience, pay for our sin, remove our guilt, and bring us into a right relationship with the holy and righteous Creator. Christ is the perfect and final prophet, but He's also so much more, which is why, number two, Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Christ is our perpetual priest. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1 gives us a clear biblical definition of what a priest is and what a priest does. It states that for every high priest is chosen from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. We can think of this simply as the flow of communication from man to God. The role of priest is also necessary because we have all sinned against the holy God. And this sin requires the death of a substitutionary sacrifice. Scripture is clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And a priest is needed to give it for you and for me on the altar to make atonement for our souls. For it is the blood 
that makes atonement by the life. Spend some time in the Old Testament, and soon you'll see several sacrifices being made by priests from a variety of animals year after year after year to atone for the sins of God's people. And the wild part about it was that that priest had to make a sacrifice for his own sins before he could offer a sacrifice for another. Those priests and those sacrifices were only a temporary picture of the eternal solution which came through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our sacrificial lamb. As seen in Hebrews 9, 12, Christ did not enter God's presence by the blood of goats. He entered the most holy place one time and for all by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. In Christ alone, and once and for all, his blood has brought us eternal redemption. But Christ is not just the faithful prophet and the perfect priest. He is also the ruler of the kings on earth. He is the true and conquering king. While our nation continues to debate over who shall rule over us, who shall be our king, I can think of no better time for the church to proclaim her own. The third office of Christ proudly proclaims that Jesus is king of kings. Again, throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Hebrew Bible, you'll see much discussion involving kings. They were to rule and to reign, to lead, guide, direct, and protect their people. But just as we see today, king after king would fail. They would fall by the greatest of foes the world has ever known. This is, this is why it was required that Christ fulfill this office perfectly. Because we needed a king to come and defeat the darkest and most dangerous of enemies, such as our sin and death. But through Christ alone, God has defeated once and for all time those ancient foes, the world, our flesh, and even Satan himself. Unapologetically, I proclaim to you this morning, in light of the grand scheme of things, it makes no eternal difference who is in the Oval Office when our God is on the throne. You may say, well, with so much riding on this election, how can you say that? Hear what God has to say about it. Psalms, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Job, God can do all things and no purpose of his can be thwarted. Proverbs, the, heart, the king heart is in the stream of water in the, the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wills. Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Romans, there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Revelation, they will make war on the land and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. 
And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. The church does not need to wait for others to count the ballots. We count on the promises of God. As Abraham Kuyper once stated, there is not one square inch in the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. Ultimately, our hope and allegiance does not belong to a donkey or an elephant, but to a lamb. As John Scott has said, Christ is the eternal king and scripture is the royal scepter by which King Jesus governs his church. So read it, hear it, and keep it. As we read Psalm 146, 3, perhaps even repent. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Some may say, well then, in the midst of such darkness and evil all around us, who is going to rescue us? Who is going to turn this all around? Who is the great hope of our nation, not only of our nation, but the entire world? But that answer was already given long ago. 1 Samuel 12, 12. The Lord, your God, is your king. Acts 4, 12. There is no salvation there's, sorry, there is salvation in no one else. But there is no other name under heaven given among men by, what, by which we must be saved. The church must boldly proclaim the hope for our nation, but also for the entire world is found in none other than Jesus and in Christ alone. Truly, in Christ alone, our needs are perfectly and completely met. Our need for truth is found in Him as our final prophet and faithful witness. Our need for a righteous standing before God is achieved by Him as our priestly representative in sacrifice and substitute. Our need to have our rebel hearts subdued and our enemies defeated is accomplished by Him as our conquering King. Christ's threefold office brings into focus the glory of his person and his saving work. And it helps us to understand the reformer's confession in Christ alone. He has set us free from our sin by his blood. And he did it out of the love for us. Truly, this is amazing grace. As we wrap things up, I'd like for us to turn our attention to the third and final point, the completeness of Christ. His finished work and his implications for our lives found in verses six through eight. His finished work has made us a kingdom of priests. This means that year after year, we don't have to offer up animal sacrifices. We don't have to purchase indulgences. We don't have to make confessions to an earthly priest. Through his flesh, he has opened up for, to us what separated God and man. Through Christ being lifted up on the cross, he has bridged the gap of separation between heaven and earth. 
Through the incarnate Son of God, He has permanently joined together both God and man. We no longer have to call any pope or priest our father, for we now have direct access to a heavenly father. We have been adopted as sons and daughters by the one true king. Hebrews 10, 19 reflects this when it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. This is why he deserves all honor, all glory, and all praise. Church, our mighty King has conquered. Do we live like we understand that reality? Our mighty King has not only conquered, but He is coming back. One day, He shall return for His bride. You won't be able to miss it. Even those who oppose Him, or currently do oppose Him, for their knees will bow and their tongues will confess that Christ alone is Lord. So, if you oppose this king, weep. Weep with repentance now or you will, re you will weep with remorse later. The choice is yours. Our king is coming back and he is not going to be humbled and mounted on a donkey. Like last time though. Revelation goes on to tell us in chapter 19 what this looks like. It says heaven will be open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name that is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The hope of the church does not lie in a white house, but rather on a white horse. Behold, our mighty king is coming. If man does not repent, then he will wet his sword. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last Greek letters of the alphabet. He is the beginning and end of time and all knowledge. He is the Ancient of Days. 
the God who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. He has seen nations rise and fall. He has seen kings, Caesars, emperors, and presidents come and go. And yet he has remained on the throne through it all. Do you remember the beginning of my sermon? The illustration of the lion in the cage. Well, I would also like to close my sermon in a similar fashion. In an illustration taken by C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia. In the exchange between Aslan the lion and Lucy, a small child. Lucy, seeing Aslan for the first time in a while, says to him, You are bigger since last time that I saw you. Aslan responds by saying, It is because you are older, little one. Not because you are, says Lucy. I am not, says Aslan. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Brothers and sisters, as you continue to read the Word of God and grow in Christ, each time you visit it, you will find Him bigger. But one day, you will truly see Him face to face. And I promise you, He is going to be bigger than you ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined that He would be. But one question still remains. Will you be ready? It is only through Christ alone that we can be. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Father, we confess and repent our sins before you right now. If we have put our faith and trust in our money, in our government, or in ourselves, we repent of it all. We affirm that we are forgiven, for you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, give us the grace needed to change. Give us the Holy Spirit. Help us to proclaim this truth boldly, Lord, unashamed of it, for it is the power of God into salvation. Thank you for Jesus Christ, in whom this is all possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen.